Welcome to Woman Up, everyone. Our purpose of this podcast is to connect women from all over the world with the most powerful tool of storytelling. Once a week, a wonderful woman will share her journey with us, focusing on different aspects of her life, aspects that each and every one of you will be able to relate to and learn from. We're all connected in this life, and what better inspiration than your woman next door? Let's find the next woman together. Hello, everyone. We want to apologize in advance for the audio quality of the following episode. Recording from all over the world has its challenges, yet we really wanted to share this message with you. Thank you for all your support. Woman Up. Welcome back to Woman Up, everyone. We are super excited to be here with you for a new episode featuring the inspiring Evgenia Athena Fos Sevayo Bueno, also going by Nia Fos. I love a mouthful of names. Nia is a transformational coach, project manager, artistic director, public speaker. Be open to new perceptions of ideas, projects, partnerships, and proposals. Contribute by interacting. Comment or ask. It's your thoughts that inspire me to keep on creating, moving, searching, thinking, believing, and sharing it with the world. It may matter, it may not, but it is a purpose, a cause, a pattern, and a belief. It's the art of living. And with that, I pass the microphone over to you, Niamu. Thank you so much for being on Woman Up. It's the art of living, yes. Thank you very much for having me here. I'm very happy to be here with both of you, Adonia and Evie. Thank you for having me on Woman Up. Welcome, Nia. We're super excited to just dive right in. So we're going to start with getting a little bit more into depth about what is it exactly that you do? Because you're a woman of many hats, so many wonderful words. So yeah, let's just dive right in. Well, actually, just um, hearing that the news, like, oh my God, who is this woman that just tells all these things? Is this me? I'm like, no, it's not. But I think that what happens is everybody has a journey in life, a learning journey. And that learning journey gives them titles that don't matter until they end up in what is their real passion in life and their purpose in life. And that's how I ended up being a transformational coach and doing perception therapy through all these experiences, doing these different things, because all these things, art and theater and, you know, the public speaking and all that has to do with humans, with people, with different souls, with different mentalities and different cultures. And all those things kind of connected in my life in order for me to end up and study perception for about 15 years and now use perception as a transformational coach in order for people to be able to find their own um, we in the world. So this is really exciting. And I think we can go so many ways with this, Nia. What I'd like to start off with simply is maybe the definition of what is perception? What is perception? Well, uh, anybody can like uh, Google and get a definition of perception. So I guess what I can explain that would make more sense is why do I think perception is important? And then everybody could understand it and perceive it in their own way. So by saying that, perception for me, so I can start with basic things, is being able to see you know how we have holistic therapies or, you know, we try to see things from all these different perspectives. So imagine it's like a huge circle and in the middle, 
there is a situation, a human, a relationship, whatever, or something that's going on in the world. Usually, from the point where we're at in the circle is the only side that we see. So perception therapy comes from me being me, I mean, me every human, right? Being able to see the circle from all the way around and all these different angles. So by looking at the whole picture, it will make it easier to understand life. So for me, perception is about looking at the whole circle, not only part of it, not where you happen to be born, not what you happen to learn, not what you were happen to be told that life is, but kind of understand and in a simple way I can say, be able to put yourself in other people's shoes. Because I want to really like make this simple so people understand. So the more shoes we're able to get into other people's shoes and other circumstances, the more we will be able to understand what is the truth about our existence. And that's how perception is connected in my mind. Does that make sense? Adonia, I'm just going to answer for you because I have a question and I'm jumping right in here because the way that I perceive it, I guess, I perceive perception is it connects to empathy though, right? Because in order to get into somebody's shoes, it means I would have to be an empathetic person. Is that correct? Not really. No, no. You can. You just have to be a person that's interested in finding the truth. I don't have to be in empathy with someone else necessarily in order to get a different perception about life, but I do have to care enough to seek truth. So the thing is that whoever is a truth seeker, whether let's say they're healers or they're teachers or they're researchers or whatever, what do they actually do? They try to see all these different, from all these different angles, one specific situation. Why? Because they want to know the truth. So by searching for the truth, you end up opening new perceptions. It doesn't have to do with empathy. Empathy comes later on. It's something else that has to do with our emotions. This is like, like we would say, like a strategy, right? So somebody would choose a strategy of the way they want to live their life. So somebody would say, for example, okay, I want to have a family. What is that consistent? Oh, I'm going to be a good mother. I'm going to have two kids. I'm going to do a great job. And okay, so that's all a very superficial perception, let's just say. But then you, you need to go then deeper. What are the emotions that you exchange? Why do you even have it? What is the essence of it? What are you expecting from your kids? All that is all these different sides. Empathy has nothing to do like, at this point with the definition of perception, I don't think. But it does have to do with empathy. The only way I can connect empathy is saying having empathy for life itself, caring enough for your existence in order to seek for the truth in order to be able to develop different perceptions in order to be able to be an enlightened happy human being which is the ultimate purpose of life of humans right so what's the whole idea why are we even here so that's the whole thing that's our perceptions are like why am i in this world what what's the whole point i mean i'm going to eat i'm going to have kids make money have a career okay that's all great but so what? So that's where the question comes in. You're like, there must be something I'm missing about this journey. And, you know, the more you try to find this, what you're missing in the journey, the more you find out more about your contribution to this whole game, which I call life. I love that. I feel like some days I am on a game board. What is the next step? What is the next journey? I feel like I come across some concrete walls at times. And I'm like, how am I going to climb this? There's no way over it. There's no way under it. Oh, wait, I got to go through it. How do I get through this wall? And 
I know that there's a process that I have to trust. And it's about trusting the process. And I know you and I on different occasions have spoken about this process. If we could go a little bit through that, what do you, what do you mean by trusting the process? How do you help your clients? Yeah. Okay, I'll get there, but I would like to bring you an example about what perception actually does. And I'll give you an example of it. I think everybody will be able to understand. So we have a person that's in addiction, right? So what is the first thing that has to happen for a person in addiction, for example, in order to go to a rehab center or to get well? The first thing that people don't get, it's not about getting the right psychologist or the right medication. It's about finding that flame of wanting to be part of whatever is around you. So the idea of perception therapy, or at least the way I worked with addicts for many years, is try to awaken their how they perceive their piece of the puzzle in life. Want to. Fall in love with their existence, their flesh again. Believe in something. Look at the sky and look at the sky. Just the sky. Not all the, the thoughts. So when an addict, for example, his will to live is awakened, his perception of why he has a will to live is awakened, he has more possibilities of being able to finish the program because there's a motivation that has to do with a different way that you're helping him perceive the world. It's the frame. So an addict has a frame, right? That's a lot of pain and a lot of misery. It's all like dark and black and all that. So a different perception would be try to put in that black canvas light that he understands that he is giving it. He creates the light. He is light. So you try to teach him that he is light. And once somebody gets that perspective, then they'll able to be like, oh, wow, I am the creator. I am light. So then it's more easy for them to go to follow the program, to go to the psychology, because there's a purpose. They understand what they're on earth for. And that happens to everybody, mostly that's entering stages of either addictions, but also people that have illnesses, let's say, like cancer or other things. So perception has a lot to do with existential philosophy in a way of why and what do I do? And that's where the process comes, right? Because if I understand that the most important thing, let's say, for a human is to have a very specific existential philosophy, meaning why am I here? What's my role? What's my connection to other beings? And all that. Then it's a lot easier for that person that has that existential philosophy to be able to follow and trust the process of their life because they realize that they're part of a oneness. Once you start getting into the existential part, then you start understanding that you belong. So then you start perceiving that there's a belongingness, right? So if I'm belonging to a oneness, that means I'm contributing consciously or subconsciously, which means that I realize that I'm light. So I trust the process because I know that this process of my life, whether it's pain, divorce, love, hate, school, whatever, it's, it's all a process. I trust it because I know that's why I came and I'm going to enjoy it because I realize that it's a game and then I'm going to play the best way possible. And even if the worst things happen, it's the way I perceive to deal with the process, not the process itself. It's never the problem that is the problem, but it's the way we perceive a problem that creates it into a problem. So if we can start up by realizing this existential things, we, we get rid of a lot of drama out of our life and we don't lose so much time in order for us to find this happiness that 
you know, we all kind of seek for and, and we want, which is the whole idea. Like somebody would come to my office and they, they might have everything, you know, like a job, a husband, kids, whatever, all that. And they're not happy at all. And you don't know why and they don't know why. And then slowly you realize that it has to do with the frame that they have created in their life. The must, the things that they are, the people told them they have to be, or this is what it is to be a good mother. This is what happens. This is what you have to tell your husband. But that's because they see only one side of the story, which is what other people are mirroring into their lives. So perception helps me mirror, see the life around me from my eyes and not from what other people see and mirror about my life. That's how we start to trust the process, by going back into the root of what am I made of? Who is a human being? What is a human being made out of? Because they're made out of, you know, we say flesh and blood. Yeah, but it's not only flesh and blood. It's flesh, it's blood, it's the spirit, it's soul. And so I believe that the human is made out of physical and the non-physical, which for me is the spirit and the soul. So somebody, in order for them to be, let's say, healed or to be able to transform they need to decide what they believe about that. If somebody decides what they believe about that, that changes their entire approach of the way they live their life or the way they have relationships with their kids, with their spouses, with their boyfriends, girlfriends, with their friends. If somebody, let's say, does not believe that there's a spirit or a soul, right? And we just die and, you know, all these little worms eat us up. He's going to treat his relationships in a very different manner, thinking that nothing really matters because it doesn't, there's nothing really after it and it doesn't really matter. So it's not going to be the same as somebody that says, you know, my God, I have the spirit and I, I, I really believe in the non-physical and I have the power. And you're going to see life in a completely different way. Those two things have to do with like the opposite, let's say, perceptions. So it doesn't really matter what perception someone has. I don't judge whether I agree with them or not. But it is important that they do decide on one, because if you decide on one, then you understand what's the frame that you put on your life by yourself. And then you understand that you can also change that frame. For example, I have a, uh, a client patient now, and they have, they have to have a surgery, orthopedic surgery. So this man, when we started, he said, yeah, my body, and I, we're going to all die because he said, yeah, I'm going to stay crippled and they're going to die and it doesn't matter, blah, 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 blah. When the surgery was coming closer and closer and closer, he suddenly started having all these questions, if you know. So we start working on a little bit together. And after the surgery, which sometimes, you know, when they put you into sleep, you can go into a zone or whatever and all that. For the first time, he actually said to me afterwards, he says, you know, I realized that there must be something else besides my body. I said, oh, really? You think? <laughs> he says, yeah. But I, I never would have noticed before because I never was worried so much about my physical to actually try to find something to hold myself from, which is the non-physical, which is my soul and which is my spirit and which is the power of my heart, right? Because I'm focused only on the material, then the material will drown me because that's all I can see, that's all I perceive, and that's all I work with. I don't have a lot of tools, but if I start realizing the non-physical and putting it into my perception, then suddenly I have more tools to work with in order to make my life worth living, fight for something I believe, 
be happier, etc. People that you deal with, and for example, that are so connected to the material versus knowing this other, call it a spiritual language, call it the soul and your spirit, because I feel as I get older, I connect way more to that. Do you deal with people that come in and they're just like, okay, I need some coaching. I need some help that are just focused on the material. How do you support people in opening their perception, I guess, is what the question that I'm coming to you with. Socrates, I think it's called the Socratic Methodos in Greek, what he did was he didn't give any ready answers to someone or tell them what it is like or like that, but he would question. So through questioning, we all know the truth inside us. We all know we were born with the truth, right? And we forget it as we grow older. So if you have somebody that you're coaching, you don't want to tell them, you know, this is the way and there's a non-physical and if you get it, it's going to be great. No, you make them realize by the questions you ask them that there's something there. And then they say, oh, wow, it's something that they're going to tell me. So you let them understand it. What you can do is teach them to tools to understand it. One of the tools, for example, to understand the non-physical is to allow your emotions to exist. Because we're also living in a world where we're trained to actually be strong and don't feel and we're all individualistic and don't uh, sacrifice yourself for someone. Love is not worth it. No, don't trust anyone. We're in a world that all the messages around us is just the opposite of being honest and feeling and expressing yourself. So the first, let's say one of the things that you would try to have um, a person open, let's say one of the windows, would be the windows of what they feel. So you would start with that, right? And how they feel and why about themselves. They would never come and say, let's say, I need help. It's kind of rare. You know, they would just come and say, I have this problem. This is the way I decided to solve it. What do you think? And then you would be like, oh, but you, why don't you tell me what you think? And then depending on the questions you ask, they will come to certain conclusions. But if somebody doesn't realize something by themselves, it doesn't have any value. Because if you give them something ready, they're going to take that and just forget it or throw it away. So our subconscious mind has to believe and to understand that this is an experience that you need to go through in order to understand it. You can't take it like math or physics. Now, because I mentioned the physical and the, and the non-physical, I don't mean to say that we should not use material goods in order to survive, let's say, or in order to work or to make money, because we have to, because that's the way this world is created, you know, and it doesn't matter whether we agree with it or not. Right now we have that. But it's more about giving the right value to the material and to the non-material in order to find an equilibrium, a balance where we can exist in this world with both things that we will feel happy and complete and full of love and peace. The peace of mind is a huge thing. Like right now, I cannot not mention this, of course, because of all this pandemic and all this thing, that people are living mostly in a state of fear. Fear is also an emotion, really bad emotion, but it's there, right? So people are living right now in a state of fear. It's so difficult for them to perceive any other reality than the story that created the fear right? It's not easy because they're in the state of it. So whatever the story is, that's where they're going to stick with because that's the truth that they know, which may not be or may not be, but they're so stuck in that emotion that they can't get out. 
So if you would want, let's say, the world right now collectively to open their eyes and to trust the process of life and the creator and earth and all these things, instead of trusting more into something completely material, which is tech, not to say I'm against tech, just to make that clear, that would probably mean that they would have to start from realizing that they're in fear and then consciously saying, I don't want to live in a state of fear. And then suddenly they're going to start seeing all these different dimensions and different perspectives of what is going on with this pandemic that has multiple layers all over the place, right? And a lot of collective brainwashing has been used. So what they do is they, let's say, for example, media, blah, 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 they use perception tricks, right? So they would trick people to perceive something as real. But we have to be able to develop the tools to realize what is real and what is not real. Because if we're living in a circumstance that is not real, we're never going to be able to be happy because our reality is going to depend from what the others are giving to me as a reality. But it's not my reality because I didn't use my perception. I accepted something that was given to me. So the first idea is to understand that we have the right and the obligation in this world to actually work a little bit with how, from how many senses do we perceive as real. Do we, or do we just live as little robots? Because if we think of this, we are a little robot. You see people react in the same way. They do this because that's what we're trained. We're animals of habit. So since the day we're born, we sit because this is the way they taught us to sit. This is the way we hold our glass. This is the way. That's just the same thing happens subconsciously. That's what they taught us. That's what it is. But is that real? So it starts the whole thing, and I finish. I think I talked too long, but is to first understand that this is the circumstance and to have the will to figure out the truth about yourself, about others, about your existence. That's where the process begins. That's the beginning of the process. You know, this transformational thing that we're talking about. As an advice, is there a set of fixed questions that you have that you could share with us? I mean, every person is unique, but at least to have a beginning of, un, you know, of unlocking our potential? let's say okay as you said every person is unique and yes very rare that there's the exact same question like the essence of the question could be the same but the framing is always very different depending on what language does each person speak what words do they use so as i'm talking to somebody that has done let's say some research about spirituality and about healing and about all these things then you would be able to talk to them in a different manner but if I'm talking, let's say, to a cleaning man or somebody that has no idea and his life is like completely far away from all that, then my questions would be completely different. So it really has to do with how the other person is. Now, to answer your question, the questions that I try to start with is trying to understand what is the belief system of this person. Because our belief system is absolutely connected with our perception. And sometimes when we're very young, without understanding, subconsciously, we build a belief system that does not exist 20 years later for us, right? But because we locked into that at a certain age, we follow it like a robot until we understand that maybe we don't even agree with what we had decided we are 10 years ago. So the first whole idea is to understand the belief system and question where that belief came from for you, you would say. So where did that come from? Somebody would say, I believe that stealing is like criminal. You should kill someone. Okay, really lame example, but 
Okay, that's great. Where did that come from? What is it that made you believe that? So to make sure what parts of our belief system are ours and what part of the belief system belongs to our external environment. So the first thing is to start clarifying our belief system because that's where everything stands, whether it has to do with a relationship, with a marriage, with a job, with anything, with healing, with an illness. That's why we know that anything that's wrong physically to someone and mentally and spiritually, they're aligned and they're connected with themselves or with the universe or with whatever they believe in, they have a lot more possibilities to heal and to cure. And this has been proven. Why? Because their belief system is super clear and they trust the process. And they know that even what they're going through might be very difficult, but they're going through it for a reason. So that makes them know that if there's a beginning to it, there's an end. And watch this part. They're not afraid of the end. They're not afraid of the end, even in death. That's the idea of perception. If I'm able to understand and understand death, which is the end, then I stop my fear. And by stopping my fear, I'm able to heal myself. I'm able to use my powers as a human, as an energy and all that, in order to manifest my life, in order to create a life of happiness. But I need to deal with that. And that's where I connect the dot now with what we said before, which has to do with the existential philosophy. What do I believe I am? Where do I go? What God do I believe in? Is there any? Is there not? How does that God looks like or doesn't or do worms eat me? These things are very important things for me to be able to understand how a person thinks, not in order to change their thinking, but to help them open their thinking up to the potential that they have or their dynamics or whatever in order for their life to become better, to be more complete, to be more happy and solve problems in a more playful manner. Because you can, let's say, break a glass in your kitchen and say, damn it, I broke this glass, damn, I paid $10 for it. But you can break the glass and say, wow, boom, all that negative energy just left today. That's great. Ha, 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 just a glass. Right. So it's all the way. How do I want to see life? I hope I answered, you know. Oh, you did. And I, I loved, I absolutely loved the glass example. I was reading The Power of Habit and there was this um, scientist. I can't remember. I can't recall exactly his occupation or anything, but he was talking about his mom and how his mom was a huge influence in his life and how important she was to him. And then he talked about a story and how his mom was dealing with, I guess, not conflict, but situations in the house. So basically he's talking about the time when he was a little kid and he went and grabbed this like huge jug of milk and dropped it because he was so tiny and that jug was so big. And then his mom went there and she was basically, oh, look what we did here. That's why we don't do that because this is too big for you, but let's come and clean this together. And that's how she was treating basically every kind of a whoopsie happening in the house instead of yelling or anything like that. So that's why I just absolutely love this example. And it just brought me right back to that book. So yeah, thank you for that. But that's a great, what you said is just great because you're giving me a pasa, pause anyway, to say that that's exactly the way real problems are built. Real problem, it's the exact same thing, exact same mentality. It's about taking the problem and turning it into a challenge. 
So you take the problem and you turn it into a challenge from the way you perceive it. So you would say, I don't have a problem. I have a challenge though. I need to get over that. Or I need to fix this. That's my challenge. It's not my problem. It's not a problem. It's just part of life. Because life has challenges. And that's why we're on earth. Otherwise, it would have been a very, very boring journey being on earth. But we had no challenges to overcome. How boring. So if we see life as a game like that, things that may be very painful kind of soften in our heart. A hundred percent. And you just mentioned something about changing the word and words are powerful. So I want to dive right into that and ask you, you talk about the game of life, but then there's a game of words that's connected to the game of life. So I just want to touch base on words and how powerful they are and how changing a simple word in our day can actually change our whole life. Yeah. Okay. So we have in Greek and we say, and it's not only in the Bible, but it's also in the ancient Greek scripts. And they say, when the world was created, in the beginning was the word. And just to mention that, but not with a religious perspective, but with a logical perspective, just like you say, why? Because words have energies. For example, the Greek alphabet has the letter N. Mm, okay. If somebody has done a little bit of different sound exercises for theater and all that, you could realize that every sound has a different emotion. So I'm going, mm, something completely different comes out. So you could do, let's say, an exercise with someone, and they could, everybody can do this at home, but it would be good to be with a friend, actually. But So if you would sit on the floor and close your eyes, and you would start with ah, and just let it go, ah, just the same sound in any volume, and you let your mind and your emotion trip with the sound. And then you go to like say the word hate is hate, hate, love. There's a sound difference if you really notice it. It's love, it's oh, it's round, it's full, hate. It's the, look what we do with our mouth. It's different. So nothing is by mistake. Nothing. So starting from the sound, I'll end up to the words. Yes, why? Because the words, not only that we hear, but the words that we use, register in our subconscious, depending on the meaning, for example. So now it's a lot of fashion that people start this new reality. So everyone's like, there's this new reality, new normality, whatever. That didn't exist in our vocabulary 10 years ago. What's a new normality? What's a new reality? But by using these words, people are hearing it. So what happens? They're accepting it as a fact because they're being trained subconsciously. That is a new, that is a fact now. So everyone's like, yeah, new reality. We're in the new normality. Why? Because somebody told them that's a new normality. It's not a new normality. We're just going moving on forward. And it's not even normal. It's never going to go back to it. And what was normal and beyond blah, 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 blah. But nobody goes around these perspectives. So whatever they're shooting you with, these words that people use, is what creates this fear into people. Like that's why there's a lot of word violence. Like somebody can be speaking very bad to you. Or you can traumatize a child from the words you use. Or you can tell them the same exact things with different words and the kid won't be traumatized. So words are very important. Words are very important in the way we share our emotion. How many times in a sentence do I use I? I am this and I feel this and I want to be better and I think I want to be rich and I, I, I. So then it's very difficult for somebody to understand if I'm talking, let's say, with a boyfriend and I say that, that I really want to be, you know, we with him. 
he's not going to be very convinced. And this is going to be his subconscious. It's not going to be what I say. I can say I love you a hundred times, but again, you see what I'm, where I'm getting at. So it actually plays a big role in the words we use. But the thing is that many times what happens into the society, and this is, it has become a problem, I think, we take words and we kind of manipulate its meaning. So somebody doesn't understand the word in the same way because we're using the word in a wrong way. You know, like it's not, I have to find an example for that. For example, fair, let's say. Just a random word, being fair. If I'm using the word fair in things that have nothing to do with being fair or anything like that, it has to do with you know something completely different, then I'm going to start using the word in the wrong way. So I'm meaning something else. I mean something else, but I'm saying something else. That's another problem that we have developed. And that's where there's a lot of miscommunication. That's why we talk about a common language. And we cannot be, we don't speak with everyone the same language. It doesn't matter what language, as in English, Spanish, blah, blah, blah. It has to do with the existential language that we're speaking. Can we communicate? Do you understand and perceive consciousness so we can talk about your consciousness? Because if you don't perceive it, we cannot have this conversation. Because the words that I'm going to use, you're not going to get it. It's like school. It's like math. It's like physics. Right? So if somebody wants to enter perception and transformational coaching that I do, they start learning a new vocabulary and the meanings of words. So even love that has been used and, oh, let's all love each other. Okay, let's define if you have a hundred people and tell them to write to you a definition of what love is to them, in the end of the day, you'll be like, this is incredible. Everybody says whatever. So how are we going to love each other when what we perceive of love has nothing to do with what the other person is perceiving? So I need to be able to find a common language with the person. That's what happens in relationships. We start developing a common language as in for the meaning of the word, not only the word you use, but how are you using it? What does it mean? And I think what I'm getting from all that and the unwinding of everything is the why. Why why we love, why we have different meanings to words, our vocabularies. What I'm practicing is listening and also being fully attentive to the other person, seeing how I feel with what they say with no right or wrong attached to it. But I think if we can listen, absorb, feel more, think less, because I find that we're always on the attack of what to say next, of what to say next. But what if we put those pauses in to just listen and be there to receive rather than always having to dish out some information? I would just want to add something that I think we wanted to say before so we can even make more sense that we can discuss all this for many hours with many people and all that but in the end of the day it has to do with if somebody is able to take their theory into action who are we we are our action if i'm starting from my belief system if i'm starting from my perception i need to be able to turn that into my practical life if i'm stuck into theory and just you know listening or receiving all that and that's not it does it's not enough you need to turn it into action so do I live based on my belief system? And do I live for the beliefs I have? Or do I have those beliefs, but it's not comfortable for me to live like that in a society, so I live in a different manner? And yeah, sure, I'll listen to people, but I'm not going to really act on it. 
You see what I'm saying? There's always, it needs to be complete. We have to have action after we realize these different perspectives. So realizing them, developing them, understanding ourselves and the world and our existence is great. But if it doesn't come with an action, with actions in our life, it's not solving any problem, never. Because it will always stay like this little theory, having coffee or drinks and talking about, oh, life is whatever. And all these people have these great theories. They're like, yeah, you need love. Or they do yoga, for example, or something else where they teach all this thing. And then you take a microscope and look into their personal life and you're like, wait a minute. This person that's trying to spread love or whatever doesn't have friends, doesn't do this, da 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 something wrong with this picture so it's not about just saying it; it's about being able to do it and that's the difficult part because everything around us is not exactly full of love so yeah love let's act on that so let's learn to think with love and not think only with logic or only with economics in our reactions to people for example how would i react with love instead of reacting with empathy which is a different just to mention the word we said it's a different feeling it's about me understanding you. No, no, it's about me and you understanding that we belong to this oneness. And so what can I do for you? And what can you do for me? Because you know what? Guess what? We're here to exchange. That's all we're here to do. I mean, if we're going to talk about existential and to understand what we're talking about, oh, you know, let's listen to each other. For me, that should have been an automatic pilot. Automatic pilot. Everybody should have known by birth, by, you know, that the whole idea in this life is what you share with another living human being. Because before you die, and we know this also from research, we don't remember like details of people and what they said and if we were sitting in the balcony or on the table, but what we do remember is the emotions that we shared. Actually, that's the only thing we remember. The only thing we remember when we leave this world, if they tell us the name of someone, is what that person made us feel. That's it. Not what they gave us as a gift, not where we were sitting, not what we ate, nothing. Only what they made us feel. Whether we liked or disliked them, we felt love or we didn't feel love. So that should tell us something about the way we want to live our life in order to have more things to remember, which equals have a life worth living. So meaning sharing with as many people, or doesn't matter how many in the number, but share in essence, share in reality, become a sisterhood. Do support this human being and do love them because if you do love them and they love you, nothing can actually go wrong. So in all spiritual teachings, what are they telling us? From Christianity to whoever, it's love one another. It's so simple and it's so difficult for us to turn that into action because we do not perceive the importance of it, how it's a problem-solving gray trick. And it doesn't have to sacrifice so much. We're also giving and taking all the time and we just choose to live in that manner. Whether it's sharing my sandwich or sharing my hour or sharing my home or just giving you my time, it doesn't matter what it is. What it matters is I understand that if you're well, I'll be well. And if I'm well, I want you to be well because that's how I'm well. So then all this stuff is complete opposite of what's going on now. Stay away from people. Be, be far. We might you. So what does that mean? That's passing the subconscious of the human society that we are in fear of our own species. This is completely unnatural. It cannot exist because if we start being subconsciously programmed 
to be afraid of our own species around us in case something, maybe it's to get the virus, maybe it's to be hurt, maybe it's because whatever. So we're all scared and all that. We don't want to get very close to anybody because, you know, it might be bad. How are we going to evolve? How are we going to ever perceive anything? How are we going to end up in the end of our life and having anything to remember of keeping all these distances in case we get hurt and in case we get uh, an illness? And then another thing, just for people that are listening, I need them to understand this because I'm not like a denial or a crazy person. A mother, for example, that has a child that gets all these stuff, and I'm saying this, I have a daughter nine years old, and ends up in hospitals and all this contagious stuff. 99.9%, a mother never gets it. Why? Why? Because the love that the mother has for the child and this connection that they have is beyond that. It's bigger. It's healing on its own. It's never, you're never going to get anything negative like that from your kid because you're there to nourish them. First of all, to nourish their soul. So you're hugging them because you're not a doctor, but that's better from doctor of medicine. Prove it hundred million times. Why? Because that empowers the existential thought, subconscious thought of a child that will go through what we go through and we all remember later, oh, I'm alone or what's happening or whatever. You're like, no, you're not. Because if everybody knew that they're not, because we would be able to put into in action this love each other business, then we wouldn't feel insecure, we wouldn't have fear. And this is reality. There's thousands of examples. And in other circumstances, like in a relation, when two people love each other very, very much, there's nothing that they can exchange so negative like that. Because love is so much powerful, and our mind is powerful, and we don't know it because we don't have that perception, because we are not taught that the human being is made from a physical and non-physical. We go to school and they teach us about our bodies and ourselves and our autumn. Now everything is about saving our bodies from this virus, and nobody is talking about saving the soul. Nobody is talking about the spirit. So we're ignoring the non-physical right now in a large scale worldwide. And what's going on? People are collapsing. People are getting depressed. People are getting more sick. They're dying for stupid reasons because they have no spiritual immune system to lift them up like the mother does with the child in order to get the power to get well, to want to live. Because we're taking the will to live, which is a completely not physical thing. And we're taking our body, our physical body that's going to die, guys. That's it. We're dying. Big deal. Let's all accept it. It's physical. It's going to be gone. But what is there going to be left? This non-physical is going to still be there like it was before, and it's going to be later. So if we start giving importance to the important things, then the physical will not suffer so much. We suffer because we're not giving the right attention, the right value to things that we were meant to when we decided or whatever to come on this earth. We're both just in our screens, just looking at you with such intensity, like I'm reading a novel, like I'm watching a movie that I'm so pulled into and love one another. What does that look like? And especially today, which leads me into the question, how can perception help us now? We've been living a wild ride for the last, I, I always want to say two years. I know we're not at two years yet, but we're almost there. So what can we do? How can perception help us right now? What would you recommend? What would you suggest? Okay. So I'm going to try to get on this answer from a different perspective. I'm going to start from a different place, right? Okay. So first of all, as we said before, we have to understand that we're animals of habit. What does that mean? That means that a human being 
in a specific time period could completely change their habits. So what's going on in these past two years actually is not dealing with the pandemic, is changing worldwide the habits that people have in their social, economic, and business life. It's about transferring. So the more time they're giving to this, the more easy it is to change collectively what people are doing. So it becomes in their subconscious. So when this so-called whatever finishes, which it, it will, but it's, it's a new start of something else, people would have already been used to this new, as they say, reality, would have accepted it. Why am I saying this? I'm saying it because even though time is a human creation, we created time, we do go by it by choice. So two years, three years, four years is a good enough period. That's because we're in a transformational period. That's what we are. We're in a transformational period. And that needs to be a long time for people to accept whatever they want us to accept. And that's why it's going on for two years. So just to, to start from that. Now, how could you help somebody try to help the situation collectively, if we can be able to speak in a collective manner, would it be, first of all, to decide what kind, so instead of going with denying something or not complying with something or fighting something or getting devastated with what's going on, and since this is a reset, why don't we start drawing the canvas that we want instead of trying to fight what they're giving us or trying to react on their actions? So why don't we take the initiative for the action by understanding that we could and should and will hopefully manifest a better reality than that someone else is pushing on us by habit, by time, by changing our collective minds. So we realize what's going on, then we understand that we can do the same thing backwards. So instead of fighting it, I am creating the reality I want. I'm not keeping the distance in the way they're meaning. Are they telling me not to do that? I'm going to do the opposite, but I'm going to believe that that's what is going to happen in the future. So it has to do with that, right? When we talk about collective perception is very different than when we talk about personal perception. But let's make something clear. There's no way a collective perception of a society or a group could change if every individual within it doesn't. So it does start from an I. There's no other way. Then it has to go to the we. So if there's one thing that we can start from is become truth seekers, as I said before. So the first thing people would be able to do now is, first of all, to seek the truth, to not accept other people's perception about the truth, but to try to figure out their own truth by listening, searching, and following their instinct. Is this real? Is this right? Is this how I want the world to be? Do I think it's fair for somebody to do things on people's bodies just because it's somebody decided that's a great idea? I don't know. And does that feel right? I don't know if it feels right. But if we start thinking about it, that's a huge, large step. Because what happens is when I'm out in the universe and I use words and I word this and I say, I'm not sure if I should do the vaccine or not, for example, right? But I start listening to the world around me. I start getting replies from the universe. People show up. Something comes up in the radio. I'll read a book. 
So the more I'm opening my perception, the more I'm getting aligned with the oneness that I'm talking to you about, so truth appears. It was always there. I didn't see it. So suddenly what happens, I just see it. It's not that it wasn't there and came. It was right there in front of me. It's like if you want to buy a blue Jeep, suddenly you'll be noticing all these blue Jeeps in the street. And you're like, what the fuck? I've never seen so many blue Jeeps in my right. What is going on? And it's because in your mind, you have this blue Jeep, right? So suddenly it was always there, but you didn't notice it. And it's the same thing with the truth. So if I'm saying to the universe, I want to know the truth and I want to find the truth because I want the humanity, the wholeness to be happy, which means, of course, me, obviously, I'm included because we say we, right? So then truth starts coming up. People start appearing out of nowhere, blah, blah, blah. Then you start realizing and then you start developing and, and understanding the power of your consciousness, of your thought of love, of hate. You start seeing the hatred. You didn't even see it before. You thought these people were just really, you know, like really for our own good. Then suddenly you wake up, you're like, wait a minute, wait a minute. That what is my own good? How wait a minute, that's not love. That's not coming from a place of love. How do you know that? I don't know, I feel it. Because we do feel the strongest truth that we will ever have in our lives comes from emotions that we are blocked since we were young to not feel, to be all powerful and independent and you know. All that stuff that they tell us from school and be successful, make a lot of money. Nobody tells you, you know, if you manage to love one person until you die, you actually, that's an achievement. Who told us that? Who told us that actually being able to love one, not two, not ten, not the whole family, just one. Love them and be loved back with one individual in this world, you know, that is an achievement. That makes your life worth living. Nobody tells us. So we make all these things and all this materialistic and we're so great and blah, 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 blah. And in the end of the day, we feel so lonely because we haven't invested in the non-physical. We've invested in the physical with everything that that includes, whether it is fear of losing my job, so I'm going to obey. That's the same thing. What God do I serve? Do I serve a God that whatever I, I, I touch with time will anyway dissolve and get destroyed like by mathematics and physics, anything materialistic, like we, we're going to die. That's it. Do I put my trust in something that I know by default, by mathematics, by physics, and by logic that will not exist in a few years? Or do I want to trust something that always existed throughout humanity, which is the energy and the love? Because it, it, it just always exists in time. It doesn't matter whether my little I'm alive or not. It's an energy right there. How can I not trust it? It's the only one that exists through time. The only thing that exists through time. So you really think about it. You know what I mean? Yes, yes, yes. I don't know where to begin with. Just to do a quick recap here, because you touched base on so many great things. Yeah, the car example, it's the most simple example you can give. And I'm so glad you did. So basically ask the question, the answers will come to you. And yeah, you touch base on success and achievements, which will just lead us to the next question, which is what's success to you? Well, success. I think I will be successful if when my time comes to pass on the different dimension of existence, I have my conscious clear, which for me is really, really important, and also be able to have loved and created. See, creation is a big deal. Why? Because we are little creators in my mind, right? So if I'm all the way on this earth and I'm going to get old anyway, and I have to go through all this. Okay. What did I create? What did I leave behind me? Whether it's about 
exchange with people, or even if it's for, it's like material things. People build these large skyscrapers or whatever overseas, and then they put their names on flags because they've left something behind them, material like something, money, whatever. How about the people that also have left spiritual material? So that's being a creator in any way. Whatever happens is, I will feel successful if I would have been able, before I die, or as much as I can, to be a creator, to contribute to the future in a good way. Could I contribute by not complying to something? Could I contribute and be a creator by creating something better for the, for the children tomorrow, which I understand that that is humanity. We have forgotten that. We're not putting the children in front right now. We're not this world right now. Whatever's going on is not about the children. It's not at all. So we lost it. We're done. That's not humanity. We've lost base for the most important thing, which is what our continuation as a species, man. We're talking basic, basic stuff. And we kind of don't understand that. We kind of bypass it, you know, and we're entering this great dystopian world where any child, anybody, anything, it doesn't matter, blah, blah, blah. So we're losing touch. So what would be successful for me? That would be success. And also to be able, as much as I can, to prepare my daughter for a crazy ride. Just be able to prepare for this crazy ride. That's, that's all. That would be a success. Every time I talk with you, Nia, something else unfolds out of me too. And this is the, clearly I know that this is the language that I speak. And I speak it with Evie and I speak it with my close people in my life. That being said, there's always a message that each of us has, and that message is going to change. But when we finish our shows, we always ask our interviewees, what is the main message that you want to leave today to, yes, of course, women, because this is women up, but to the population of people listening today? I don't know. You know why? <laughs> I think messages don't really work because I think that there needs to be a transmitter and a receiver. A message in my mind, talking about vocabulary, is a one-way situation, right? So if my message would be any, it would be for us to make sure that any relationship that we have with partners, with our parents, with our children, with our friends, with our whatever, strangers, just make sure that it's both ways. If we just make sure that it's both ways, that will be really important and we won't even realize. Just make sure that it's not only sending the message that I believe, but it's also listening, like if you like what Adonia said before. So if I was going to share a message, it would be that. It would be make sure that you put yourself in someone else's shoes. In other words, try to perceive their angle, their perception, the way they see life. And the more perceptions you choose, the more shoes of other people you choose to get into, the more you will evolve as a spirit, as a human, and you will be able to get rid of fear once you understand that we don't have to be afraid of each other and everyone has fear. Guess what? Not big deal. We think we're the only ones. I know we're not. Everyone's scared. So I'm not alone in it. So why make such a big deal over it? Let's have a glass of wine. It's okay. So the more we try to do that exchange, instead of sending what we think and telling people do this and then do that, try to do that, even if somebody would do it for a week, that would be my suggestion. So anyone that's listening could do this, just for one week, whatever conversation they have with anybody, make sure you're listening, looking at their eyes, and then 
try to understand, get in physically, close your eyes, get into their body, into, their, into what they see from their eyes looking at you, from their background, from their experience. So understand what they're saying. Not only understand, completely connect, and then go back before you reply to them. You will immediately change your relationship with that person without even knowing it. But this is just a game. But I would suggest one week would be enough to do it, even if you choose to do it with one specific person. And then suddenly you're, you will open the doors and the windows of a different language of communication with that person. And that different language will have to do with the emotions that you actually exchange at that moment because they're going to be based on the thought of love. Not logic, not right, not wrong, nothing of that. Nothing of that. It was great being here. I really enjoyed it. I think I could go on talking to you girls about many things. It's, it was really nice, even if we just touched a little bit upon here and there stuff. And I hope it was helpful. It was a whole time filled with knowledge and we grew. thank you so much for being here. Evie? I wish we had many, many hours, man, but the attention span of a human is just not allowing us to do this successfully. <laughs> it's like, this is not gonna happen. Thank you so much for being on our show. Woman up! Woman up! Women up! Up! Thank you for listening to Woman Up. You can find all links and websites to our wonderful women in our show notes. We encourage you to connect and follow them. We're always looking for the next woman to share her story with us. To feature the women who inspire you, please contact us on Instagram at womanup, there's only one you.